welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I am joined by Tala Chan, the Director of New Wellness Propositions and Partnerships at the wellness giant Holland and Barrett. Over the last few years, Tarlachin has fast-tracked his career qualifying as a GP before transitioning into digital health and wellness, first as a co-founder and then working across the C-suite in a number of medtech companies as the Chief Medical Officer, Clinical Director and Chief Commercial Officer. Alongside this, he has completed a Master's in Health Economics at LSE and an MBA from the University of Cambridge. And he joins us today to share his journey and what he is working on at Holland and Barrett. So, Tarlachan, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing? Hi, James. I'm very well, thanks. And thank you for the introduction. Very excited to be here. I've been an avid listener for some time. Oh, man, that's very kind of you. And uh, yeah, wonderful to hear from uh, a giant as Holland and Barrett as well <laughs> that has been listening to the podcast, which is awesome. Um, but there's obviously plenty to your background, man. Um, first of all, whereabouts are you speaking to us from? I am home, so uh, London Bridge. I've been here since I moved down from Bradford. So I'm originally a Bradfordian. Spent oh, nice. the first 18 years of my life, but there. Uh, and I moved down to to, to study medicine at, at King's College London, and I couldn't I couldn't prize myself away from Borough Market, so I ended up staying there. <laughs> I used to work at the Health Innovation Network, so literally um, just down from Borough Market. Um, yeah, the, just near the cathedral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just opposite there. Just opposite yeah. there. So literally every lunchtime was uh, was a trip to Borough Market. Um, do you have a favourite <laughs> at Borough Market? I know it's obviously COVID times and what, stuff, so you don't get down there often, I imagine now. But um, yeah. What, yeah, what was your favourite bit of Borough Market? Well, there's two. Um, hence, I've gained an extra couple of pounds. <laughs> I'm still carrying that holiday weight from like 2010. But uh, I've been saying that for I, a few I think years for, now. For me, there's a <laughs> there's there's a great Jamaican place that does a really nice mutton and a rice oh, and peas, nice. and then for dessert, there's. There's all uh, that's uh, Rudy's shout out to Rudy's yeah and uh, there's a there's a great uh, donut place by Bread Ahead uh, that's more of a yeah. treat but th- that also is exceptionally delicious excellent, so they're, excellent. They're, they're my borough market highlight <laughs> do you know what I enjoyed I enjoyed the Scotch egg place do you know that yeah one? yeah 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 you know it, yeah, yeah I do it's a thoroughly enjoyed that and I enjoyed the uh, <laughs> yeah. the chicken wrap place on the corner but before this turns into a foodie podcast I suppose we should actually talk about some health <laughs> tech um, so yeah tell me about your background man tell me about your story so yeah GP co-founder C-suite corporate MBA there's, lo- there's loads to your background um, classic overachieving medic by the sounds of things um, but yeah tell me all tell me all about it tell, run me through the story <laughs> yeah so I think it, 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 it's uh, it fits actually quite neatly into three three broad stages so it sounds like it's quite a lot but for me it's been three main transitions so I kind of first moved like I said from Bradford um, moved to guys in St Thomas's and um, uh, first in the family out me and my brother were the first to to kind of go to university and so it was a big jump for us guys and uh, being in London was amazing guys in St Thomas's uh, were pretty central so that experience was was very fascinating but broadly speaking my my journey is first clinical starting from kind of medical school then it falls into entrepreneurship where that was exceptionally busy five or six years Mm. where we did but i did quite a lot of stuff and then it's led me to this third stage which is more of a kind of senior healthcare and wellness executive and i think if i go through each of those three journeys and 
perhaps one of the key lessons I learned. I think that that was uh, would be great to share. So, so from the health from from the healthcare side of things, uh, the first bit, the clinical side, that was pretty straightforward. So I went to university, didn't really know much about health or med tech, and I it's somewhat kind of my thinking about it was quite narrow. I just thought, okay, I'm, I'm end up being some kind of medical physician and it's always quite challenging because you're 17 or 18 when you make those choices um you don't really think about stuff and you become occupied or very preoccupied by the the all in kind of consuming exams and getting through year by year so it's actually when i first finished and, picking a picking yeah. a picking a career a decade decades yeah. and decades and decades long career at the age of when you pick your A-levels, really, you've got to sort of make the decision at 16 right. and then and then you've just got to sit on that and, and just like back yourself to have made the right decision the entire way through. And there's, thankfully now at least, you can veer off that path for people like yourself, you know, showing yeah. people that they can do other things. But it was, a, it was a mental burden that to sort of, you know, yeah. kid, every, kid everyone else that you'd made the right decision to save face as you were going through it, if you were anything like me. But yeah. yeah. And it was difficult. I think when I started medical school 2003, I'd never heard, seldom heard of anybody leaving out of yeah. their own choice to do something different. Like, you you know, it's, it, it's very vogue now to have these portfolio careers. But back then, it, a portfolio career was a GP who spent the Wednesday afternoons doing a vasectomy. Definitely. That was like as, about as portfolio as it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A bit of teaching or uh, some, you know, lumps and bumps and things. Uh, so it was really when I finished and I moved back up to Leeds, it was those first couple of years, I immediately felt like actually we're working really hard, but it feels really reactive. And it felt like we were constantly battling in this very reactive service. And it used to, I used to get thinking about things like, you know, what are the factors that are driving obesity? How does things like minimum unit price and alcohol affect and impact? public health and so I started getting in, quite interested in the mechanics of this and the mechanics of like how how is this whole system financed and how can we how are we currently set you know set up to do the best that we you know are we doing the best with, mm. with what we have and this was really early on like during the F1 year it kind of planted that seed in my mind that I'm not sure about it the other couple of things that were interesting in my early kind of GP training as well was whilst I was going through all of this, there was a whole boom in 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 things like um, online platforms, all of these new and emerging businesses like Uber and Deliveroo and so forth, or the first iterations of it. And it felt like actually all of these industries are becoming so consumer centric. And I could see that same kind of agency being demonstrated by by patients. They had this they had this wearable information. They wanted to access healthcare proactively. There was no service. And instead, when I was working as a trainee GP, it felt almost things hadn't evolved in, in terms of triaging since the times of Hippocrates. Like you call up six minutes, kind of you eventually get through to somebody. It's a very blunt triage instrument, and if you're not immediately unwell, you join the back of the queue. And this was kind of early two thousand, like mid two thousands and ten and so forth. And I thought, gosh, there has to be a better way to do this. And on one hand, I'm seeing what people are doing in banking and e-commerce. And I can see the appetite for this. So the first bit was great for me, the clinical bit. It really taught me a lot about kind of hard work. It helped me to understand much more about the clinical side of things and, and develop that clinical knowledge. Um, but it made me start questioning my next phase of my career, how to have a bigger impact. And I, I said I'd share a lesson from each other. So the lesson I learned here, which I really carried through, uh, I, I think has really helped me throughout 
my career was the biggest lesson I learned was about emotional intelligence. Mm. And what I mean by that is I think becoming a leader, this for me, there's two parts. You, you can have a great vision and idea, but you need to take people along that vision. And it's that second bit that requires really that emotional intelligence and work. I, I, so you get that genuine buy-in. You're able to get these authentic relationships with people. And you're not just kind of, it's not, it, you're shifting away from a kind of transactional type relationship. And when I was a junior doctor, I really felt that because you're early on, you're in these highly emotionally charged environments. You're supporting people that are unwell, but also junior colleagues. And you're not really prepared for that. Like you have sometimes medical students or colleagues or even senior colleagues in tears or the parents are in tears or as a junior doctor, you're in tears. And you have to, there's a lot of camaraderie in those early days. And for me, that boded really well uh, for my future career because I learned from then on really how to engage with people, how to be emotionally intelligent. And I think I credit that to my junior doctor years. I, I hear you. I hear you, man. Like, honestly, I, I feel totally the same. It, it was, it, you're absolutely right. It's such a tough time to have. Well, it's, it's similar to kind of, I suppose. You know, when people start management consultancy or even as a junior doctor, whatever it is, like learning how much actual work you can do in a day by just being flooded with it, just having so much on your plate to then get through and then you learn ways of dealing with that volume of stuff. Sort of the same for a volume of EQ related stuff, as you've described there, which is really interesting, just a volume of problems to solve with EQ. And I was speaking to one of my friends recently actually about this. He's He's a an anaesthetic registrar he's interviewing for consultant jobs now and eq is something that he has learnt. he's he's learned a lot of eq or he's, he's put himself through that to do that stuff because it's not something that came as naturally to him and so in order to deal with that volume and complexity and all all that kind of thing and problems that you can solve with eq it seemingly is something that is is gifted to us at least the ability to learn that and solve problems with eq which benefits us across business as you'll now know as well uh, yeah absolutely for me i mean it's fundamental to, to what i do now in partnerships and propositions yeah. like being able to relate and connect to people and really understand their perspective and at the same time lead a team i often just it reminds me of like you know when you're a junior doctor and you've got a you go up to the radiologist and ask for a, a scan and justify the scan and then you've got to deal with the junior doctors and the registrar and all of these different facets of EQ, yeah. I suppose. Um, so, so that was, was great. But then it, it led me on to my like, next stage, which I think this was like a really busy time in my life. It was 2015 to 2020. These five years was where it was very, very like, exceptionally busy. So I, this is when I decided, actually, I, I want to shift. So I took a, 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 an out of program uh, year out of my GP training to, to do a full-time degree. And I thought, okay, I'll, I wanted it to be quite immersive experience and I just got married that year so I thought it'd be great my wife was training in London so I thought actually we'll move down um, and it'd be a great kind of immersive experience so in, the, in these five years and I can go unpack it in a bit more detail but I I essentially uh, moved to London finished my uh, GP training became a co-founder in a health tech company a telehealth company and we, we uh, we got that from concept to uh, a series of funding. We raised a million in, in 14 months. Grew wow. To 15 locations. Uh, and, and yeah, that was super busy. Moving on to like a clinical director at Dr. Care Radio, which is a large telehealth company. 
and then a chief commercial officer for a, uh, a fast-growing kind of digital health hospital, which is also Series A back, uh, has achieved Series A funding based in Germany. And alongside these five years, I did, I did the master's, um, all my GP exams, and I did an MBA. And so it was exceptionally exceptionally busy uh, and I, I learned a lot but uh, yeah there's a lot in those five years I could talk about. Why do an MA in policy? Why do an MBA? I mean, talk me through those things. What there, There'll be a lot of people listening that are looking to forge a career in health tech and maybe start their own company. You know you've done it all and you've seen it all and you've landed where obviously you feel best and most comfortable but obviously those those two things well you tell me i mean do they do they increase yeah. your optionality that they give you more choice do they give you more inbound of people wanting you for different things what what why make the decision and then what did you find when you did yeah. those two things yeah i've always i've always had a strong sense of like kind of following my intuition and and be really, you know i try to simplify the approach to things in my mind i thought look i i need to understand i want to have a bigger impact on healthcare and i'm relatively early in my career right now so I want to deep dive into how does this actually all work. And then when I thought about that, I thought it's less about public health. It's an element of public health, but it's actually health economics, financing healthcare, and how do all these things come together? And so that was the thinking behind it. And I was really keen to think to myself, look, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna do this, I'm often like kind of all or nothing type person. So I thought if, I, if I'm, otherwise I'm not motivated to do it. So I thought if I'm gonna do it, it has to feel like it's going to be very, very immersive. There's a high sunk cost to motivate me to really see it through. And so I thought, okay, I'll take the year off. There's a big opportunity cost, particularly when you've done like an MBA, sorry, an, an MBBS and a BSc, and you've been a student for so long. And this was a big sunk cost. You know, I had to pay for the tuition fees, which is quite expensive, not earned for the year, it's the first year of marriage. But the thinking was, I wanted to understand. And for me, the London, so my master's was, the London School of Economics and the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And it really hit that sweet spot. So all of my public health training was at the London School of Hygiene. And LSE was just probably the best teaching I've had in my life was there in, in, with respect to health economics and financing healthcare. And you really got to understand uh, at, at an academic level the, the building blocks of this and how it translates to healthcare. So I didn't really think too much about how this will end up in a career. But I knew that it felt right. It felt like actually this taking this step now will bode well for some kind of career in the future in this area. But I didn't know what that was. And then consequently, as I went through those, that journey, I, I kind of realized it was the consumer wellness side of things and proactive care and tech that I was interested in. But so to answer that bit of the question, that was the thinking. And then that led me to essentially go on and, and, and help to create this telehealth company, which in turn continued in that vein of kind of aiming or targeting people where there was a convergence of tech, proactive healthcare, and that's where the MBA had, had come into it. But um, I could talk more about that, or we could talk about my experience in the M MSc. Uh, I've got a tendency to blab on James, so you tell me when to stop. No, 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 not at all. Not at all, man. No, it's, it's, it's all good info. And I think... The question for me is around what gives you the confidence to start your own company? Is it in part the learning that you did on the MBA, the MA, the being a doctor? Like, is, is, is it in part that that gives you the confidence? I mean, how, how, do you, 
How do you all of a sudden decide I can build a tech company as a clinician? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, that that was exceptionally difficult. And I, if I explain that a little bit more, so when I, I finished the MSc in health policy planning financing, you you meet all of these people doing all of these great, wonderful things from working at the WHO to setting up enterprises and. And then I had to go back to GP training, and that was exceptionally difficult for a number of reasons. But also, I, I had to, we, I wasn't able to get a transfer, so I went back up to Yorkshire for that year. Uh, so my wife was still in London. I powered through that year, and then I, I also served as a visiting lecturer just to numb the pain. I thought, actually, I just may as well, if I'm, if I'm here, I may as well double down and really get the most out of it. <laughs> and I knew in that last year, <laughs> I knew that last year, that actually, this is not for me. I really want to have a bigger impact. And so when I moved back to London, this this is when I, I had I moved back to London in 2016. I had to find a job. I went on a, a conference of medic footprints to really transition my career. I was I was I was firm in that resolve now. I wanted to to do something. And this is where I met the uh, the current CEO of uh, Medicspot. And that was the, the that's where I became a co-founder. It was a tiny little advert at the end of this conference uh, where they were looking for a medical director or chief medical officer. And it was then I knew I kind of wanted to move away because after all of these years of training, I just spent a month locoming in London and my salary had probably increased by sixfold. I'd earned a huge amount in that first year, probably more than I went to date. It just so happened like I had a really good mm. job and it was a great part of London. And like I landed a, a great GP job in Notting Hill, great area, excellent salary. I was exceptionally unhappy um, after that first month. So I went to the Medic Footprints Conference. I met uh, the current CEO of, uh, of uh, uh, Medic Spot, and it was myself. I became a co-founder and another chap called Nick Ivory, another clinician. And the confidence there for me was I knew, I felt quite young in my career. Like, look, I'm only 31. I feel exceptionally unhappy already. I can't see this happening for another 68 years. And if I, until I'm 68, sorry. And I thought, if I continue down this pathway, it's, this is not going to be good. But there's a lot of anxiety. Like I'm giving up a huge career. I'm, I, I, I'm giving up a huge opportunity cost. And that's where it became challenging. And usually when you set up a business, the vesting period is four years. So it's quite long. And that commitment for me was quite difficult. I was thinking, I'm not going to earn anything for four years. Um, it's going to be a great and fantastic and immersive experience, but there's a high opportunity cost. And I was lucky, so I worked, I was quite transparent about where I was in that journey. So I wanted to be committed, but actually I was able to get all of my equity vested, less of it, but, but more quickly after the first year or as soon as we raised some money. So after 14 months, we were able to raise a million pounds. We essentially grew the business from just a concept to over 50 locations where we hired a whole team of people i served as chief medical officer we were the only health tech company at the time to with a cqc without a single bit of negative feedback there's about 20 of us at the time and that was a really proud achievement for for us guys at medicsport um and then once we got that first million i exited and i assumed a very senior role at uh, dr care anywhere so I was the youngest clinical director at Dr. Care Anywhere, managing over 100 doctors and four other clinical managers, and essentially pivoted to working on new ventures. So the conviction part was I was very unhappy, is the short answer. Uh, 
But what helped me secure that, I think, was my experience in the MSC. When I did the MSC, I also served as a chief executive officer of a charity at the same time. So I think it was, I had demonstrated that, that kind of the grit, the determination to, to do a lot. And I think I didn't realize at the time, but that dot connected forwards to me being able to secure uh, being a co-founder at Medicsport. And then that accelerated it further to me, for me joining uh, a very large telehealth provider, Doctor Care Anywhere, mm. at a, where I was really working uh, closely with the CEO and, and a number of big ventures with AXA, Boots, um, uh, Superdrug. And it really opened up my eyes. It sounds like you, you just played the hand you were dealt, right, in, in, in a lot of ways, because you, you knew what you were good at. You knew that you were good at clinical medicine and you knew that you were good at learning that business side and so that clinical director role seems made for you it seems ideal for you and i can i can understand now how your career's panned out in the way it has and i'm interested to hear how you then got into holland and barrett i mean that is really interesting and uh, what what are they doing in health tech yeah absolutely so so the next bit explains how i connected to holland and barrett so when i when i left medicsport actually i felt although my title is of course chief medical officer and co-founder i developed a huge amount of business skills and it was very difficult at the time so when i joined dr care anywhere i was a clinical director of new ventures but often you get pigeonholed as a clinical director and i really wanted to make much more of the commercial decisions and that's what led me to do an mba so i did my mba at the university of cambridge and there's a number of great medics on there and there was the current CTO of Amazon Web Health, who was a class A medical director at Nuffield, a couple of guys working in a big pharma. Wow. And the point of the MBA was really for me to to, to move away. Yeah, it, was really, it was a fantastic experience. And like the old CEO, uh, uh, the current CEO of Guys St. Thomas is Ian Abs, is a fellow alumni did it a couple of years before me. Uh, Andy Jones, CEO of uh, Ramsey Health. So they have a huge number of of high caliber clinicians so I was quite attracted to that but for me it was really to to also present myself more authentically as a leader one as a business leader so one for me to gain the, the right qualifications but and, and understand the vocabulary and two as an external kind of signal saying hey look I'm not just a medic and I am a co-founder but I'm also I understand the business side of things and that's why I ended up shifting towards Holland and Barrett because it was during my time in Dr. Care Anywhere I was able to move the next shift as a purely a chief commercial officer for MedBell, which is a, a digital hospital that raised almost $11 million today, a uh, very high growth startup based in Berlin. And that was my first role where being a clinician was good to have because it was allowed me to accelerate a lot of the partnership forming, but it wasn't a prerequisite. And, and that's what I wanted. I wanted that job uh, where it, you don't necessarily have to be a clinician, but it's a nice to have. And, how I ended up at Holland and Barrett, it was really the convergence of these two stages of my career. So it was a convergence of clinical medicine and entrepreneurship, but it gave me a platform where you can have a huge amount of impact. So at Holland and Barrett, we have almost 1,600 stores, uh, over 18 locations around the world, 5,000 employees. We occupy such a strong space in the health and wellness ecosystem. And we're going through a huge transformation right now. Um, we've just launched a whole new science and business unit of which I'm now uh, working within. And, and it's that, that convergence of being able to work in, in, in proactive healthcare and combine my love and passion for business and tech to really help 
people live a better, healthier uh, life. And, and, and that's how I've ended up in somewhat my, my dream job, as it were. I really, I've been there now three months and uh, we're going through so many great changes. We're hiring, actively hiring and, and building the team right now. That's awesome, man. And congrats because finding or getting to that point where you finally have found the bit that you want to be in forever or at least for a long time uh, is it's a tough gig <laughs> it's just a tough journey and I think all all credit to you for yeah. being able to go through that and land and land where you have interesting things for me here you've talked about a science and business unit at Holland and Barrett that's interesting to me and you've also talked about yeah. marrying business and technology as well in your role now so talk to me about what the science and business unit does and talk to me about how you and holland and barrett are marrying business and technology or at least involved in technology specifically it's a super exciting bit because holland and barrett are going through a huge transformation right now and you know they've had this over 150 years of strong heritage in in, in the wellness space but things are moving and you know, we want to develop and move away from uh, to have a much more sticky relationship with our consumers. So less transactional and being able to afford them a lot more services around supporting their wellness goals. And our understanding of wellness has changed a lot. It, you know, wellness is so multifaceted right now. Like you, you're talking about mental health, physical health, nutrition, even uh, kind of aesthetics and how you look and feel beauty. It's all an extension of, of wellness and we're really active in all of these areas and trying to develop it to that next stage. So the science and business unit, while we're going through this kind of uh, transformation, our ultimate resolve by 2025 is to reach 100 million more consumers around the world. The science and business unit is very focused on a number of things. So it's focused on how we introduce diagnostics into our store, how we introduce uh, new ventures, inorganic growth, how we consider mergers and acquisitions, and how we work in strategic partnerships with, with people. And that might be a number of wellness apps, and mental health apps, and uh, physical well-being apps, and how we can have strategic partnerships with these guys uh, or, or players in our platform. And that's what we're doing. So at Science and Business Institute is really adding that scientific and clinical rigor and lens. And we're currently building up the team. So we're hiring for a number of positions in, in, in diagnostics, for example. We have a science a director of science who's joined us, who uh, helps to provide that regulatory lens. And my job is really to, is, is a number of things, is explore new ventures, potential M&As, uh, but also inorganic growth. So reaching out to and uh, forging strategic partnerships with, with, with things that we think are, are closely aligned. and. It's funny in wellness because I think there's so much growth. There's a flurry of growth, but you know, Holland and Barrett is one of the few companies that has that real authenticity in this space. Um, and I think that that's why it's so exciting for me. I think as we continue to see this huge growth in a number of new, especially non-traditional incumbents like Lululemon and the, and the stuff that they're doing, uh, a number of other kind of athleisure mixing with gym, mixing with wearable techs. Uh, it's really exciting. But not all of them, in my opinion, have this like, you know, this, this that strong heritage and that footprint that we occupy right now with all of our stores and stuff. I think we can do something really special, really exciting. 
And that's what we're interested in. Like already in some of our stores, you're, you're able to get things like blood tests and that's brand new. You would ordinarily not have been able to do things like that. Um, so I urge people actually to check out our, our Oxford Street branch is great. Very cool, man. And so there's, right, there's loads here now. So we've really blown this wide open from a health tech perspective because you've talked about M&A, you've talked about strategic <laughs> partnerships, you've obviously talked about apps and tech companies that you're doing those things with. Um, and you've mentioned some really interesting words like regulation and wellness and even blood testing stores. And it seems like, it seems like Holland and Barrett is now looking to increase that footprint, as you've said, and, and use their position to... Well, uh, 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 ground level, I suppose, as you say, having deeper relationships with customers, more sticky relationships with customers. And un and I think that's an extension of what's just going on right now, isn't it? That individuals yeah. at that level want more from what healthcare is. Healthcare now is not sick care. It's not I am ill and I want something. Yes. It's now healthcare. It's actually how do I optimize myself? How do I make sure I'm the best version of myself. I'm not interested in where my vitamin D is extremely low and I'm symptomatic. I'm interested in optimizing my vitamin D, thank you very much. And actually, I'm gonna do it by these means and those means. And so, yeah, it seems to me like Holland about is very perfectly positioned actually to make those moves. And it seems like smarter people than me have figured that, that out a lot sooner as well. So obviously setting up a science and business unit and doing all these things. My question initially though is about, these tech companies that you're that you're looking at from an M and A perspective, from a strategic partnership perspective, what types of things? I mean, you mentioned apps there and 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 wellness apps specifically. What what particularly are those technology companies doing that that might want to get on the radar of someone like Holland and Barrett? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, and it. As we work through a number of different verticals, so right now uh, a lot of us are in, within the company are focusing on three three things: gut health, sleep, uh, menopause, for example, in our, our Holland and Barra app. And it's things like that where they can add complementary services or value-added services, perhaps where we can essentially leverage their expertise where it feels natural, where perhaps they've developed something. So, and, and really that's now for me to, that part of my job is to find these right partners where we think actually, this is really complementary to what we're doing and it, it can add additional value to the consumer. It's very much about kind of making that, the whole thing more sticky. And people, a lot of people don't know like in, in our stores, all of the colleagues in store are, are what we call qualified to advise. So it's almost the equivalent to an A-level with respect to how much they need to study. So if you go into one of these stores and ask that, ask one of these colleagues they're very very specialized in what they're doing and then with respect to some of the apps or some of the other synergies we're exploring is to see okay how can we make that what's the next iteration of that how do we perhaps with with one of your specific needs let's say you're struggling with sleep uh, can we uh, team up with people that are monitoring your sleep so we can perhaps support your your wellness needs both through our strategic partnerships, but also our in-store products and get those things, you know, really to provide you with a much richer set of solutions for your for your wellness needs and goals. And I think this is what, what I talked about earlier. As we learn more about wellness and how multifaceted it is, it's important we're able to 
one, learn more about your wellness needs, but then at the other end, provide a richer set of solutions. And I think that's how we will continue to distinguish ourselves. And that's what makes us different from simply buying products off the shelf. It's that information asymmetry that almost exists between the consumer and what they want to purchase and our in-store staff, our selection of products together with future strategic partnerships, I think will stand us in strong stead to to, to, to deliver the best wellness service we can. I think that's awesome. And I, th- I think, yeah, there's definitely a place then for the very well-developed, more B2C, uh, like companion app type things, the things that can go alongside, like, I don't know, if you're talking about gut health, something like IBS, it might be something like Bold Health or something like yeah. that that can um, that can sit alongside. And, and y- yeah, it seems to be that kind of thing that will that will both be good for the individuals if they're pairing that with certain other products that they might be getting from Holland and Barrett that help them optimize their health, but also from a, as you say, from a Holland and Barrett perspective, you know, that technology component. I was actually looking at um, an Elon Musk video the other day and he, and he said like, oh, we're, we're already cyborgs. Like we all we already have this <laughs> like technology piece attached to the end of our arm called a phone or an iPhone. And we interact yeah. with it. It's just that the uh, it's just that the technology uh, interface is just a bit slow at the moment because we actually have to go from brain to thumb. And sadly, it's not just well. I say sadly, but one one person's opinion is it might be sad, but um, yeah, it has to go through the thumb rather than directly <laughs> into the brain. But my point is, we are already cyborgs. We are into, we are literally using technology yeah. as a means of optimizing and streamlining everything about our life. So when it comes to supplements when it comes to wellness when it comes to all of those different things that if there is some element of technology that's helping us through that that's showing us a feedback loop that's reminding us that's doing all those different things it is going to strengthen from a behavioral science perspective our relationship with those other products as well um i guess we just need to make sure that they work right which is another thing that you mentioned about regulation so that's that's an important piece and uh, yeah i'm interested in in how you see that fitting in yeah and i think i think that's that's so important to, be, to ensure that we have that that side of things uh, tied up very, very very robust with respect to kind of clinical and medical uh, uh, regulation and so we have a whole within our function we have the director of science who runs all of that who has a very strong kind of academic science and insurance background so so luckily i, I i'm kind of somewhat absorbed of that but my my clinical knowledge my clinical background helps me to understand uh, a lot very quickly a lot of kind of what sounds good and what sounds very very legitimate for the consumer but we take that pretty seriously because we are very um, you know our brand means so much uh, we need to be very protective of that um so yeah we we, we will be hiring for a number of other people i think uh in addition to what we're already doing now, the number of other clinicians will be hiring to help us to support that function of the business. I imagine that would be quite a, a popular role for many clinicians listening that want to do something interesting, something different, something in technology, something in wider health. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a super interesting role, sort of thing that I'd have lapped up or at least tried to apply for probably far too early with not enough skill. But yeah, interesting. <laughs> 
No, I think I think that's so interesting. So right now, like one of the other pieces of work I'm doing is is what we call the wellness hubs. So in store across a number of our estates, where we've kind of redesigned what that looks like, and we've fitted in things like a biometric machine, so you can check your weight, your blood pressure, your visceral fat, and all sorts of stuff. And I think this is would be an absolutely you know great opportunity for for people who are listening to to jump on and uh, see some of the jobs we're advertising for to get involved in some kind of uh, some of these jobs and I think if you have a clinical background and maybe you, you you're excited by the consumer wellness side of things and proactive healthcare this could really resonate with those guys I think so it's really like you said if I if I was able to have this job uh, many years ago I definitely would have applied it sounds interesting <laughs> but I'm going to say that I'm <laughs> I've been blasting the uh, uh, jobs all over LinkedIn and things. <laughs> <laughs> so Tyron, before we wrap up, I'd like to talk to you about leadership. It's obviously something that you have been through in a variety of different roles. How has your view of leadership changed as you've gone through clinical medicine to now where you are? Very early on uh, in medicine, you, you assume leadership roles, but definitely the way that evolved was really interesting for me. So as a junior doctor, it's a bit more transactional. You have a jobs list. Can you do X, Y, and Z? But together with what I learned with the emotional intelligence side of things and throughout my kind of uh, startup years, it was, it was implementing that and, and shifting from kind of um, this transactional type leadership to what I call much more of a transformational one where you really forge those authentic relationships. You really try to understand what resonates with people and it's, you know, you're, you're, you're developing, you're managing teams of people. It's much, I find it much harder early on because it's less transactional and, you, you, you know, it's not clear what, who's responsible for what. And actually you want to evolve that and, uh, and uh, grow into this transformational type leadership role. And I think what underpins that is authentic relationships and, again, having a higher EQ. So that's awesome. And I think one element of changing changing leadership styles and and having to i suppose negotiate through leadership positions in different organizations is well you have to build your resilience right it's one of those key components that is is always going to get you I i think one thing that i definitely experienced as i was moving through my different roles was that that looks very different in different places and and you'll relate to this in clinical medicine resilience is is really different i think because you have to be resilient to being incredibly yeah. tired and incredibly emotional and then having to make complex decisions and trying to manage people while you're yeah. hungry thirsty yeah. tired no sleep and you have to you have to tamper all of that down before you then come up with a, new, a response, so you you learn this grit yeah. and this resolve in a very different way to to managing a massive budget and actually being responsible for business goals. And if something fails at that level, it is stressful in a completely different way. And actually, you know, I hear this a lot. You know, oh well, we don't. You know, it's not as if it's not as if we're responsible for lives over here. It's yeah. still very stressful being responsible for someone else's yes, money. Yeah. Like that, that can land you in plenty of hot water. Um, I don't <laughs> want to say more or less than than morbidity and mortality, but you know, it's it's a very different, but often sometimes no less stress. But you talk to me about resilience and 
what your relationship with resilience is? I think that's such a, a great point, uh, James. I think I, I saw I resonate that so much. I remember how how your you know you develop resilience throughout the different stages of your career and how important that is. And for me, I think it's it's being you know having the same housekeeping in place. So if the same principles I had as a junior doctor, I tried to have the same now or throughout my kind of different roles. And I think that's what's allowed me or afforded me longevity and a kind of miss or curtail burnout. Uh, and I think that's so important because these things are all, all about longevity. And so for me, I, it's in my commitment to sports and socializing with friends. And I really try to have some protective time around that. So once a week, I used to play five-a-side football with a group of school friends. And I've con- continued that throughout my professional career. And I always then, at the beginning of every year, try to pick a, a new hobby for the year. And that could go from piano to this year, it's been boxing. And the next Amazing. year, you said, yeah, so I, and, and that's what keeps me interested. And I try to commit to those two things. And that's, that allows me to want to de-stress, but also then switch off from and gives me that longevity in, in the career because you can easily burn out. And I think your mental health and your physical health are so important. And things are going to happen. Things will happen personally and professionally. Uh, and and uh, if you have some of these things in place, they've certainly helped me through difficult times to provide context as an outlet, but also afforded me uh, the longevity I, uh, it, so far anyway. Hopefully I'll, I'll keep up the boxing. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. And, and it sounds like self-care is, is also another way of putting that. And, and part of that is knowing yourself and knowing what it is that's going to give you that that opportunity to build up on your reserves again right yeah and i do have another secret actually on self-care i often maybe once every three or four months have a day of annual leave to myself and <laughs> that's something my wife doesn't know about until i've had the full annual leave day on my own so i go out shopping i'll, I'll go to, to borough market i'll go to the gym i'll go for a swim and that's my kind of single very selfish me day but because nobody knows that my wife or friends and everybody assume I'm at work and it's uninterrupted me time. I think that that's I love that. If ever I if ever I've taken an actionable piece of advice from anybody, it's absolutely <laughs> that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I love it. I, I love it, man. And it's been a bit of a theme of this of this podcast, hasn't it? About about wellness and and both for oneself and clearly what you're helping do for others with Holland and Barrett and what they're now doing in the technology space to help enable that, what they do anyway in what they're trying to do to enable that. But I think there's some really interesting themes about, you know, a business and scientific unit at Holland and Barrett now looking into these things in more detail. There's regulatory components, the fact that you're hiring lots of clinicians, it's putting a lot of scientific, and you use the word rigor, you know, a lot of scientific rigor behind what has been a bit of wild west of, of wellness and you know anybody can just bang out an app and put it out there but with these credible organizations behind um using a lot of science i think it i think the yeah. future looks bright for the wellness space and i think it's a it's a space that i've been guilty even you know a couple of few years ago maybe of, of just thinking like oh you know the wellness space like oh it's just this or it's just that and it's not proper health tech it's not any of that but i think the world's changing yeah. and your opinion's got to change and consciousness Absolutely. shifts to people that actually optimizing one's health and call that housekeeping call that self-care all of these things are components of it and i think it's homage to to 
the fact that you can come on here and, and just talk casually about mental health and taking a me day and self-care and all these different things and you know you're two guys on this podcast that that wouldn't have been okay 10 years ago yeah, yeah. um it would have been a very different yeah, world and it's great that we, that we live in that now and it and it's great that people like holland barrett and yourself are now forging careers and paths and sectors within themselves here i think it bodes really well for for the world and i think at a time like now you know at the time of recording two days before christmas it's nice that we're talking about self-care and taking breaks and taking me days and all that sort of stuff because i think we're all winding down a bit um which is which is good i like that we can have these conversations now mate and um i really appreciate it and thanks so much for coming on i wish you all the best i'm glad that you found your place in holland and barrett and doing what you're doing now i i think it's super exciting you're building a team around this stuff and i think for all the clinicians listening that, that might want to join the team and for anybody else that's interested in joining the team yeah we'll stick the link to the jobs and and to that jobs page in the description of the episode thank you so much for coming on mate it's been a pleasure thanks james it's been a pleasure i really enjoyed myself hey everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.